This episode of Spawn is brought to you by Handmade Charlotte Kids. These fun activity kits and art supplies are available exclusively at Michael's. Now through October 2nd, buy one, get one, 50% off. Hello and welcome to Spawn, a common sense and hopefully fun discussion on parenting and parenting culture. I'm Kristen Chase. I'm Liz Gumbiner and we're the co-founders of CoolMomPix.com. And on today's episode of Spawn, we're going to talk about raising teens. Uh-oh. Oh, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not fans, ready. Yeah, are you not ready? Because I am not ready, but we, get, we need to be ready, Liz. Well, fortunately, we have a fantastic guest, the very, very very he gets three berries very funny author robert wilder (laughs) and then we will end our show as always with our cool picks of the week so we know robert wilder from many years ago right liz i know we covered his book daddy needs a drink which so funny to our listeners who haven't heard of it it was one of the first things we wrote about when we started cool mom picks right yeah i'm looking at the post link you have here and it's from 2006 wow so the formatting will be nice and messed up <laughs> yeah, and so he's a teacher and he's turned writer and author and he's redirected his attention to teens now. He's got a brand new YA novel, Nickel, which has been named a book list best young adult book of the year. Oh, just no big deal. Robert, you're so fancy now. What happened? Welcome. Hey, I'm so happy <laughs> to be back with you guys. It's been a while since we've connected, but I'm excited to be here. It's great to be on your show. We were so excited to hear that you'd moved into fiction because, again, we followed you from the beginning when you did Daddy Needs a Drink. And when we first found that, I have to tell you, we were so excited because when we started Cool Mom Picks, we were looking for things that were a little irreverent, a little out of the ordinary. And back when that came out, there weren't so many funny parenting books, especially not from dads. Like I was busy talking myself off a ledge with the book that rhymes with what not to schmexpect. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about, Liz. And here you were with like this book that made us laugh about parenting. So how did people react back then? Like the genre was pretty new then. Yeah, it was really new. First of all, it was new being a dad writing about parenting. And the second thing was, being irreverent or funny about parenting because, you know, there was sort of a division. There was everything from people saying, finally, there's someone who has my sense of humor, or this is the only book my husband has read cover to cover in his life, right? (laughs) Um, So it was great. I got such great feedback from people like, finally, human, like no pressure parenting because there's so much pressure on parents. But then I got the other side, which was, how dare you use profanity within 50 miles of a child? You know, I would make a joke about my kids or about someone else's kids. And I would get, you know, people got pretty mean there. You know, I don't know if you guys what? know. From... Parents are mean about other parents. I don't even know what you're talking about. I know, not in our world. <laughs> but the weird ones were the people who objected to kids in general. There's a whole group of people who call parents breeders. Oh, yes. And, oh, and, yeah. yeah and, and I was on a hate blog for a while because I wrote a piece about people torturing my kids on a plane flight and my kids were being fine. So I tortured them back. You know, I, <laughs> I turned all the lights on them and all the air on them. <laughs> I just blew snot out of my nose, Robert. <sighs> Jesus. We're only two minutes into this interview and now I got to find a tissue. I'm sure you. <laughs> it was crazy. So I actually did that because I don't know about your kids, but my kids are pretty well traveled. But people are really mean to kids on planes. They won't do the same thing for an obese person or a person with some sort of disability. But kids are fair game. And they made my son like cry and crawl under the <gasps> seat. Oh, no. Oh, That's oh yeah. Terrible. He, Oh, I would be putting more than cold air on them. 
I'd be putting a different kind of air on them. (laughs) (laughs) I fart in your general direction. (laughs) Exactly. So that's one of the pet peeves people have about kids is on airplanes. And I struck a chord. So that really sort of got me in trouble for a while. But I was happy to face it because, you know, I didn't think it was right to sort of shame kids because they're little and they can't really fight back. So you were really early in on that. I mean, I think now there's been so many pieces written, especially with, you know, blogs and social media having blown up in the last 10 years, that now we know that you're not alone if you feel tortured by unkind passengers on the plane when you're flying with your kids. But you were kind of among the first to really put that in writing. So thank you for all of us, whoever (laughs) wept openly on a plane ride with our children. (laughs) Yes. So now you are on the topic of teens. This is what the book's about. And we, if you can believe this, it's been 10 years, Robert. We both have almost teens or tweens. I have a 12-year-old. Liz has an 11-year-old. And we're dying to know the one thing. Tell us the one thing we need to be prepared for. I was thinking about it. And, uh, you know, one of the things is I think unpredictability Oh, you know, great. I think that, be prepared oh, to oh, never be prepared. <laughs> thanks, Robert. Exactly. Thanks. You know, thanks for joining us on Spawn. <laughs> you're welcome. Everything in moderation, including moderation. Because, you know, the thing about teenagers, I love teenagers. I have teenagers. I've worked with teenagers for half of my life. And, you know, unpredictability, like one day they're super happy and the world's their oyster and they're singing. And the next day they hate everything. My son has his best friend. Every day I drive them home from school and he has a list of all the things he hates from art teachers to salad, you know, to, <laughs> to no Art card. teachers eating salad. Oh, it doesn't matter. You know, so you have to be able to roll with the punches. And I think that's really hard because you remember your kids as these sweet little things running around in their little dresses or little little haircuts and all of a sudden you know one day they come home and they're you know possessed by the devil and you have to be (laughs) this is not looking good for us Liz no it's but here's the thing it's fun you know unpredictability is fun I think a lot of people can get into a rut in sort of modern American life so to have a creature that comes home and you have no idea if they're gonna hug you or spit on you is kind of exciting for guys like me anyway it's like a big theme park ride of doom (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly it's like a roller coaster that you didn't really want to be on (laughs) except they made you ride it oh wait maybe that's just me well I mean I can get a sense of how this transition was for you but you were a teacher as well so I'm curious did you feel like you were more informed you were more prepared for what was going to happen I mean how was it seeing them go from you know hair bows and sweet little haircuts to hating salads and art teachers (laughs) no I think I was a little better prepared because I was dealing with it every day you know when I started teaching I started in middle school I'm in high school school now. In fact, I'm in my English office right now with like signs everywhere. Oh, you're still teaching. You're still teaching. Wow. I'm a full-time high school teacher. You started teaching in middle school. That was your start, middle school. Yeah, middle school, which is That's like giving birth to an adolescent. That's insanity. (laughs) You are a god among teachers. Well, it's insane because middle school, like they would come in, kids would come in and they wouldn't know where their shoes are. You know, like... (laughs) Some things never change, it sounds like. Jasper, where are your shoes? The dude's got no idea. Or all of a sudden, they look at you and smile, and this unbelievable nosebleed just shoots out of their nose. So it's like pregnancy, basically. (laughs) Exactly, on the outside. Um, So... You know, I think most of this stuff to me, because I look at things through humor, are kind of funny. You know, this awkwardness, I'd rather talk about it and have fun with it. So I was a little used to it. And then I moved into high school where they're a little 
little more reserved, but they still are up and down every day. So when I had my own kids as teenagers, I sort of expected trouble. You know, <laughs> so when my daughter would come home and I'd say, how are things going? She's like, great. And I'm like, come on, tell me the truth. <laughs> really, what are you hiding from me? Show me your arms. You know, those kind of oh, things. Geez. Sorry. They probably feel like they can't keep anything from you. Like you've seen every forged note to get out of gym. You've seen every possible oh, excuse for coming in late. You know all the tricks. My mom was a teacher wow. too. So it was hard to get away with stuff because I knew she'd seen it all. Yeah, I remember one time with my daughter, Poppy, you know, she was doing the cell phone thing with me and being sort of a jerk. And and uh, I said, all right, give me your cell phone. And she looked at me like she's not going to give it to me. And I said, really? Do you really want to go down this road? We can go down this road. I've been down this road. I said, you can either give it to me or I drop it in a glass of water. Either one works. You know, and she looked at me and she didn't fight very long because she knew my bag of tricks are pretty wide. Poppy, I have dropped 37 cell phones and glasses of water in 20 years of teaching. Don't test me. Exactly. I've seen worse than you. Better looking and smarter and you're not going to be able to pull that with me, daughter. You know? So when you write a humor irreverent obviously but as a teacher was there any pushback like did any of your students parents suddenly get nervous that you were going to write about them yeah or? you know I'm lucky I'm not fired honestly you know sometimes I wonder why I wasn't fired and there was a guy who wrote a novel who I think he worked at Horse Man a thinly veiled novel about a school and they fired him mm. oh geez yeah oh Jesus, right but you know what I'm just guessing but I think one of the things they know is I'm a really caring teacher like I'm going to work hard to help their kids become better writers and, you know, they may not be comfortable with seeing the fact that I noticed that a lot of the moms wear exercise clothes 24 hours a day or drive SUVs the size of a tanker truck. Are you looking at me? Are you in my house right you now? You are silently judging our exercise clothes. That's right. With the Starbucks in their hand and the Lululemon, you know. <laughs> or as I call it, Lululemon. Lululemon. <laughs> you know what? They may not have loved some of that, but they also know that I'm paying attention. I'm going to work hard for their kids. So I got a pass on that. Also, some young teachers really love Tales from a Teacher's Lounge. I get, I still get emails saying, you know, again, someone's telling the truth. It's not all Pollyanna. Anna. You know, there's a lot of sort of like fog machine language in our culture that doesn't tell the truth. And I think if you tell the truth, sure, you're going to get a lot of trolls and haters, but you're going to get those people who've never had been able to tell the truth and you're allowing them a voice, which is kind of cool. And do you think it helped you be a better teacher once you had kids? Like my daughter's kindergarten teacher, for example, had her first baby the year after she left. And she said to me, Liz, I have a completely different understanding of teaching now. I feel this really different level of commitment to the kids. And and it's not that she wasn't committed before. She was one of the best teachers in the school. But she said, I just see things so differently now that I have my own. Did you feel that way at all? Do you feel like the other way around? Did having kids impact your teaching? Yeah, I think you have more empathy. You know, you have a kid in class who doesn't seem to be paying attention and you think they don't care. And then you find out later their mom's got cancer or they're going through something and you didn't really know that. Mm. And maybe when you have your own children and you get their point of view a little closer, then you investigate a little more if that if that makes sense. Like for instance, a lot of times my son London I'll ask him, like, what he wants for dinner or what he wants to do. And he's like, I don't know. And for a while, I was like, will you stop that? Will you stop this sort of affectation, this sort of, you know, disenfranchised teenager? 
But what I realized after, you know, grilling him and burning him with matches <laughs> is um, just a joke. No one's getting hurt. That's all right. Uh, that's the joke that gets people upset. So, uh, no, when I finally, like, talk to him eye to eye and I say, really? And he has absolutely no idea. Like, literally, he does not know what he wants to eat. He doesn't know what he wants to do. He's in this male tunnel of adolescence and he doesn't know. And so I'll go back to the classroom and say, okay, you really don't know. I get it. You have no idea what you want to write about for this paper. You don't really know how to do this assignment. Let's at least talk about it. Would it be helpful if I gave you 18 options? And they'll be like, yes, please. Rather than bug me, can you give me some options or a menu to choose Number from? one, where are your shoes? Write a story <laughs> about that. Number one, who gave you an idea that that haircut was a good idea? You know? <laughs> And you know what? What's interesting about that is you said, you know, you've talked about like the unpredictability and I think the perception of teenagers generally being negative. But I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a lot of research lately as someone with a soon to be teenager, like my way to deal is to read as much as possible. Data nerd. Yeah, data nerd. And I barely get to read. So it's like this is what I have. But, you know, there's like Brainstorm. There's a bunch of other books and they're really approaching teenagers more positively, you know, with the idea that their brains are created creative, they're growing. And so, you know, rather than being like, you know, they're so moody, like how they can harness that. Do you have any thoughts about that? I mean, it sounds like you're kind of tapping into that in a way just from your own parenting experience. But have you seen any of that? I've been saying that forever. You know, like my dad used to complain about the generation and I'm like, they're just another generation with just difference. They're not better or worse. And so for instance, you know, there's this writer, I really like Maureen Corrigan, and we've talked about The Great Gatsby, and she doesn't think that Gatsby should be taught in high school because kids don't appreciate language, but I have the opposite uh. in my, I really think they love language. Yesterday, we were talking about Gatsby, and I was like, why is Gatsby, you know, so attached to Daisy or whatever? And one of my students, like, because he's a stage five clinger, <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? Hold on, what? Stage five? So I made them go through the stages of like, you know, clinging and, and stalking. And that's language, right? Stage five clinger is language. You know, they love language. So if you can connect their love of language to the book's love of language, you're okay, right? Or the other thing is, you know, sadly, I had a student die recently. I had a student, oh, a beautiful wow. student die recently. And it's not the first time. And teachers really grieve for their students. And it's a weird sort of place you are with, yeah, you know, you're not their sure. parents and friends. But anyway, this boy, I'll just tell you a quick story. We assigned them to find out. I live in New Mexico. And we asked them to go find their own version of New Mexico. Don't give me the tour guide. Go find something. And this boy went up to a rural place in New Mexico because he's a rock climber or he was a rock climber, and there was a feud between the locals and the rock climbers in this one community, and he went up there to investigate it, and he met the man who ran the community center there, and over the course of the afternoon, they got to know each other, and the man eventually confessed that he had lost his son, and this wow. boy wow. and this man wept together in the afternoon in this rural in New Mexico because this teenager was so alive and awake and open that he was willing to take those kind of risks. And teenagers are. They'll write these really personal things. They'll take a risk if they think they can trust you. And if they think they can trust you, they're actually quite brilliant, mm -hmm. right? Because they're super alive. Yeah, and they're yes. super awake. Their perspective is evolving and electric. So I'm totally on the side that teenagers are actually 
these amazing beings, but you have to figure out the right way to approach them. Okay. First of all, I have chills from that story. Yeah, and I was too. thinking my freshman year in college, I was a communication major at Boston University and uh, the freshman comm teacher gave us an assignment like that in all of Boston <laughs> to go discover Boston. Hi, it's your first day in Boston. Go out and discover. And I felt intimidated by that. And the fact that you're doing that with kids in high school, not in college, that speaks a lot to you as a teacher and someone who really understands the teenage mind and what they're capable of. And we need more teachers like you. Well, you know, there are plenty, plenty of teachers. The hard thing, though, is you have to have trust. You know, you have to trust that they're going to be able to find these places or figure out problems. And they are. The problem is most people don't give them the problem and let them solve it on their own terms. You know, we try to yeah. dictate how they do it or we're too fast. We want an answer right away. Yes. And sometimes they need some time to think and wander and figure it out. And once they do, though, they'll surprise you, I think, most times. And do you think parents can take that advice as well with their own teens? Or is there something different at stake when you're the parent and not the teacher and it's your own kid? Do you think you have the objectivity when it's your own kids to let them loose and let them fail? No, it's, it's really hard. It's got to be hard. I think it's hard. Just personally, I think separating my crap from my kids' crap and all that stuff. As a teacher, I can only imagine like you don't have all the other like you're not nagging them to put their laundry away or make their lunch. Like that's all eliminated. So you can really focus in on the relationship, right? Absolutely. It's totally harder with your own kids, but I also think it's possible. And I think one of the things is parents love their kids and want to protect them that a lot of times we want to fix them and give them advice and do these things that honestly, as adults, we wouldn't listen to someone doing that for us, right? So one of the things to think about is ask as many questions as you can before you give advice or lecture or scold right? Mm -hmm. If you can ask questions, it's like, you know, I'm sure you guys were in some sort of couples counseling at some time in your life. <laughs> we don't know what you're talking about. Everything's perfect. Everything's two single perfect. moms. Because you're so beautiful and evolved, I can tell you've been through a lot of work. So, oh, Robert, you know. you're coming back next week. All right, I'm ready. But one of the things I learned in couples counseling now as a divorced man is that reflection idea where you actually listen to someone and you reflect back what you're hearing them say rather than trying to argue with them or interrupt Mm -hmm. It sounds artificial, but it actually works. So a lot of teenagers think, A, no one's listening to them. B, no one really cares. And no one thinks their ideas are serious. So if when you get in a jam with your own teenager, if you just ask them, like, how'd it go? How did that feel? Well, what do you think we should do? you know, really exhaust those questions, the kid actually thinks you're thinking about what they're thinking about, and they're actually noticing you're listening, and you're giving them the opportunity to solve their problems. No one wants their problems solved quickly for them. We want to figure out ourselves how that all works. Same with like reading. We want as a reader to figure things out. So my advice to parents is always breathe, <laughs> take medication if you need it, and then also ask a lot of questions before you start giving the kids answers. Well, you know what? That technique is something that's recommended. I mean, I was a music therapist many moons ago, and it's a technique you use really for even young kids. And it's the same concept for adults as well. It's like, who wants to be standing there saying they're angry and upset about something and have someone else just be like, well, you could do this or be like, but why are you feeling that way? You know, like solving their problems. It's, is there something to be said about just saying to someone, wow, you sound really upset or you must be so hurt by that? 
And just acknowledging the feeling and whatever they're going through, that to me is a catalyst for a relationship and for communication. I remember learning that with really young kids as well, that kids often need to have their feelings echoed back to them. So you're, I'm having like the memento, like flashback, Robert, <laughs> as you're talking. So like when my kids were little, even like a three-year-old having a tantrum, if you just repeat, you must be really angry. You are really angry. You are feeling angry. And you just repeat that to them. They calm down often. So I'm so glad you reminded us of that. And I'm glad that I can bring that chick back when my kids are horrible teens, too. <laughs> yeah. Or the other one I hear all the time is like when parents say to the kids, what were you thinking? Uh, like yeah. you're an idiot. No, no. That never goes over Or well. as New Yorkers say, <laughs> are you kidding me? Oh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which is the message that you're an idiot rather than, you know, I've gone to like 8,000 trainings and in-services, right, as a teacher. And very few of them were helpful. Um, but one of them that was, was to acknowledge that what they want is not crazy, right? In other words, you could say, of course you want to drive at two o'clock in the morning on your knees with your friends in your convertible. Everybody <laughs> wants to do that. But we don't do that, right? In other words, like, you know what I mean? Acknowledge, like, what you want is not crazy, but it's outside the bounds of what we do as a family. So you're not, you know, saying acknowledge, you know, you're, you're, you're okay, but we just are not going to do that. That's not what we do. You know? That's a fantastic tip. I really like that. Yeah. Like, of course you want to do this, but that's not what we do. Yeah, and say that everybody wants two pieces of cake. You know, everybody <laughs> wants it. But we just don't have that but here. Look it's at okay. my thighs. Look, children, <laughs> look at these thighs. <laughs> these right. thighs don't lie. <laughs> All right, so we have to talk about your book. I haven't seen your book. I mean, I saw it when it came in the mail, but then my daughter took it away, and so I haven't seen it. But Liz was freaking out, and I'm going to be the embarrassed one and say, I don't know who she was freaking out about, oh, but yeah. she was freaking out about something. Yeah, I was freaking out because, well, for our listeners, it's called Nickel, and it is a novel, so this is not nonfiction advice book. And the first thing <laughs> I saw is Augustine Burroughs blurbed your book on the front cover, and I flipped out because Running with Scissors, to me, was the best book of the decade. So anyway... If Augustine Burroughs likes it, and God, look at all these people. Jack Handy likes it, and Samantha Hunt likes it, and Natalie Goldberg, who wrote Writing Down the Bones, one of my favorite writers' book, wrote it. And then, who else did you say? Lisa Loeb? I mean, you have, like, the best blurbs ever. So, obviously, you know, not such a bad book. If the book stinks, at least you get it so you can read all the good blurbs. <laughs> <laughs> I can blame it all on them, that they gave me false praise and that it was a terrible book. Yeah, I'm really fortunate. I feel so lucky that people liked it. And, you know, going back to my hometown of Westport, Connecticut, on December 1st to give a reading at the library there, and Augustine's going to introduce me. Oh, that's which so Which I'm very, very excited about. I'm just really fortunate that people really dug the book and that the early sort of readers have really liked it. There's nothing you can have that's better than early readers supporting your work, right? Yeah, well, what he said for our listeners is, no one has ever written about the pains of being a teenager physically and psychologically inside and out quite like Robert Wilder. That is high praise. Yeah, it's sort of embarrassing. It's so kind of him to say that. But yeah, that's Oh, great. whatever. You know you have it as your text notification. Anytime anyone texts you, that's what goes off. <laughs> oh, that's gross. Just be honest. I got a tattooed on my lower back, so it's my tramp stamp. I'm know? sorry, officer, that I was going 85, but did you see who blurred my book? <laughs> Let me pull my shirt up so you can see what it, what it looks like. So has this been something you've been working on for a really long time? I mean, I have dabbled in it, and I have something or, you know, a few things, actually 
actually that I've been working on for many years. Is, is it Was it something like that or did it just hit you and you were like, okay, I've got to do this right now and you finished it up and got it published? How did that work? You know, novels take a long time. When you write fiction, you have to create a world, right? In nonfiction, the world's already there. You just have to sort of describe what happened in that world, right? So it takes a long time. So that book took me a really long time to write. And, and the other thing was the voice of the narrator, Coy, the teen voice, that took me a long time to get right. Like the early drafts were really almost in code, right? I really went crazy with the code that the teenagers speak and it was almost unreadable. And I wanted to create a voice that I thought was true to the voices I've heard, either eavesdropping on kids or reading their writing that they hand to me. But I also wanted to be accessible. And that's sort of the line you're straddling in that kind of book. So yeah, it took me a very long time. And I had a lot of readers and I did a lot of revisions. It's no easy task, you know, writing a novel. And you know, Liz, I don't know about you, but I love YA. I'm I'm going to be honest. I even read middle grade stuff, Robert, because that's kind of what my psyche can take these days. (laughs) I can't take like... Like the heavy duty, heavy hitting fiction. I love reading YA. I love reading middle grade stuff. So, you know, even if listeners don't have teens themselves or young adults themselves, these are great for us to read. Tell us a little bit about the story. Yeah. So I think they would call it a YA crossover novel only because I've had teenagers and adults like it because it speaks to sort of both of them. Everyone was a teenager. So even though you're not there now, doesn't mean you don't remember what it was like. The story is about a boy whose name is Koi, C-O-Y, and he's got a best friend who's a girl named Monroe. And Coy's got, he's kind of like a troubled kid. I mean, he's a sweet kid, but his mom's in rehab. He lives with his stepdad who's not mm. very good at raising kids. He's a little bit of one of those quiet, odd kids in high school. And he befriends a super sort of weird girl named Monroe. You know, the two of them save each other from the horrors of being in ninth grade. And then Monroe gets ill. Uh. And he's trying to figure out how is he supposed to live a life that was already precarious with his best friend who's starting to get sicker and sicker. So that's sort of what the book's about. And the other thing is he's a funny kid. Even though he's quiet on the outside, interiorly, he's hysterical and wild. There are so many kids you look at and you think, oh my God, that kid doesn't say anything. Then you read their writing or you eavesdrop on their quiet conversations. You're like, oh my God, this kid is hysterical and brilliant and amazing. And you you don't usually get that access. So I wanted to write about a kid who seems quiet on the outside, but is sort of wild on the inside. And what would you say is the age for this book? Starting at what age? Like I have a 11 year old who loves YA books, but I know it's not just about the reading ability, but whether you have the life experience kind of process the story. How old would you think is your target reader? The publisher would like me to say high school years and above, but I actually think kids are more sophisticated than that. You know, a lot of times young 11, 12 year old kids who are readers have a very sophisticated interior life. You know, if you have a kid who's a reader, I think middle school could be a fine age. But I also think adults... Because the other thing about Koi and Moreau is they're obsessed with 80s culture. Uh-oh. Liz! <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm putting down The Fault in Our Stars and I'm picking up Nickel. <laughs> Meanwhile, right after this. aren't these, I mean, really, why did we never do these kinds of books when we had babies? Like, we were all like, let's read Goodnight Moon, but they don't care. Why don't we read something that we like? And then it's like two birds with one stone. You're reading a book that you want to read. 
<laughs> oh, you mean for bedtime stories? Yeah, for like... bedtime stories. I'm going to start a new movement. I'm going to tell parents, you know, I love Goodnight Moon, but skip the one word, go find the gorilla in the zoo books and read YA. <laughs> read a book you want to read. Read something interesting. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that's my new, that's my new Instead thing. of making it up, I don't know about you guys, but when my kids were little and I read those stories, I would just like start to fall asleep and I'm like, then Curious George stole a car you know, and he ran into a stereo store. You know, I couldn't bear reading those books again. So I just would start to invent plot twists. Oh, you're better than me. I used to just like halfway through the book, skip to the end and be like, oh, and then that was it. <laughs> Goodbye. The end. That's right. <laughs> what? No, we. I don't think we skipped anything. It just, I read it so well. It felt like it went quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so where can we find you on Twitter, Robert? Robert T. Wilder on Twitter and the same on Facebook and robertwilder.com. It's hard to make me. I'm sort of everywhere. So yeah, I would love to hear from people. I'd love to hear what people think about the book, you know, and how they feel about teenagers. I love talking about teenagers. You know, I could talk about them all the time. In fact, I will be in a class when we're done with this. I'm going to go run in and have to deal with them. And guess what? They could care less that I have a book out. Or that, um, <laughs> it doesn't matter. You know, they're teenagers. All they care about themselves. So they don't even know that I exist outside the classroom. If I see them in, you know, the grocery store, they ask me, what are you doing here? <laughs> I love it. They still do that? Oh, absolutely. Teachers, they're just like us. <laughs> so to our listeners, definitely keep an eye out for Robert T. Wilder on Twitter. And you can find us at Cool Mom Picks using the hashtag Spawn Show. We are also on Facebook, of course, or your favorite social media channel. Yeah, and drop us an email, spawned at coolmompicks.com. Of course, we will link up the book on our podcast page at coolmompicks.com. We'll be back with our cool picks of the week, but first, this. All right, Liz. So I am so excited to talk about this week's sponsor, Handmade Charlotte Kids. This is a good one. I know. So it's a collaboration between Handmade Charlotte, who is one of our favorite DIY design bloggers, yes. and Creativity for Kids, who we love as well. That's a great collab. I know. So I met Rachel from Handmade Charlotte many, many years ago at an indie craft experience in Atlanta, and she was selling her handmade baby bloomers. And now look at her. She's in Michael's stores nationwide. And she only has like 800 million followers on Pinterest or something. So yeah, she kind of <laughs> knows what she's doing. But you know what? I took a look at michaels.com and there are more than 50 craft activity kits and art supplies. Have you seen them? They're really cool. They're super, super cute. Did you see that emoji kit? There's like I... little emoji pom-poms <laughs> by number. My kids will die for those. Well, I was looking at that, but also the donut shop garland for my little <laughs> donut lover. But you know what? It's not just kits, too. She's got a ton of art supplies as well. You can never have too many art supplies. That's our go-to gift in my house, books and art supplies. So I am psyched to see these. And now through October 2nd, Michaels is offering, this is so awesome, buy one, get one, 50% off to celebrate the launch. So head over to your Michaels, go to michaels.com and pick up Handmade Charlotte Kids, buy one, get one, 50% off. You'll probably see me there with an armful of like 40 of them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now it's time for... Cool Picks of the Week! Cool Picks of the Week! Robert, we're so excited you're going to join us and give us your Cool Pick of the Week. You want to kick it off? I do. I want to kick it off. So my Cool Mom Pick is a slow cooker. And I know that's <gasps> not an exciting new app. No, oh my well, God. Wait. Slow cookers are hot, man. And P.S. It's not just a Cool Mom Pick. It's a Cool Dad Pick. Hello? Well, I'm trying to be respectful to the platform. Um, this is fun. You can talk about anything to anybody at all. But I love that it's a slow cooker. 
And that's not code for anything either. It's literally a slow cooker. <laughs> not a euphemism. No. <laughs> Come no, on up and, and see I... my slow cooker, baby. <laughs> right. So tell us, is there a particular slow cooker you like or a particular recipe? What is it that made this your cool pick? The thing about the slow cooker, it's so easy. So I'll tell you, like, if you take a pork shoulder, right? And, you know, there are chipotle chilies you can get in a can anywhere in the country. You puree those chipotle chilies and you rub that sort of sauce all over a pork shoulder, right? Rub it. Put Ooh, it we in are a now at the rubbing meat portion of I will, Yeah, I'm not going to talk about, like, tenderizing meat or my meat mallet, all right? Because this is the family show. So I'm going to keep all that away. I'm not even not anymore. Guys. I don't want you guys to get the vapor. So let's keep meat mallets and tenderizing away from the microphone. So anyway, you rub the chipotle stuff on the pork shoulder, and then you cook it in the slow cooker not in water and in beef stock. And at the end of the day, you're going to have the best sort of barbacoa tacos you've had in your life. I promise. Right. You know, we're going to have to get the recipe from you and we will put it on our podcast page as well. That would be so fun. Awesome. Happy to do it. So I'm going to do mine quickly, which actually kind of goes with yours, Robert. And this was in honor of Daddy Needs a Drink. My cool pick is an amazing bourbon called Widow Jane. It is so delicious. It's phenomenal. And now I will say I am not a bourbon drinker. I bought this for my boyfriend years ago when I asked someone in the liquor store, like, you know, what's a great artisanal kind of cool bourbon that he probably hasn't had? And they said it was made right in Red Hook, Brooklyn. They have their own heirloom distillery there. And this stuff is amazing. So I just want to throw it out there. Widow Jane bourbon, really cool gift. It looks great. It's awesome if you're starting to think like birthday holidays, all the entertaining that's coming Just up before you know it. Just any day with a teenager day. Yeah, <laughs> Tuesday night. <laughs> so keep an eye out in your liquor store for it if they have it. I know it's very small distribution. You could definitely find it more around New York or just go to widowjane.com and it's definitely good even for you non-bourbon drinkers. All right, well, I'm going kind of a different direction here, but I did include a cool dad. I wanted to highlight another cool dad, not just Robert, of course. There's this really cool dad in our neighborhood. His name is Chris Blackway, and he does something called lino cut. Are you guys oh, familiar with that? Have sure. you heard of this? <laughs> You know what it is, Robert? Right, I think I do. I think I do. You mean art, the art line? Yes. Yeah. So it's okay. So for listeners, it's a hipster thing. It is a total hipster thing, and he is the coolest hipster I know. Um, so it's basically this printmaking technique, and it's a variant of woodcut. So they actually use linoleum, and then he takes the artwork and he prints them on, you know, on paper, on canvas, on T-shirts. He's just a really cool guy. He's a neighbor. He's got three girls, and I just see him all the time at school drop-off. And I'm like, you know what? Your stuff is so awesome. I need to tell the Spawn listeners about it. So anyway, it's called C Black Prince, S-E-A, Black Prince on Etsy. We'll link his shop up. And, you know, you know how we are, Liz. We love supporting small artisans, mm -hmm. especially cool moms. And this... This is a cool dad. And I love that these all go together because, look, you can make yourself a big coma-worthy dinner in the slow cooker, pour yourself a <laughs> glass of Widow Jane, and then go drunk shopping on Etsy and buy lots of stuff at Sea Black Prince. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. I think you guys have cornered cross-merchandising. I think everyone else should just hang it up. We all have our skills. That's right. All right. Well, thanks, Robert. Thank you so much for joining us. This was really fun. We will have to do it again with the next book. Yay! I'd be happy to. This was really fun, guys. Thanks again for asking. All right. Awesome. Thanks. 
Well, that was a fun episode. I could have talked to him for a very long time. Yeah, same here. Thank you so much for joining us, Robert Wilder. And thanks to you listeners for joining us for another episode of Spawn. We have to give a shout out to our fantastic engineer, John Bowen, who makes us sound fabulous, even though all of Kristen's mic settings are completely wrong, according to her (laughs) this morning. (laughs) So make sure you subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher to Spawn with Kristen and Liz, which is what you're listening to right now. Download the episode, leave us a review. Wait, wait, hold on. This isn't America's Test Kitchen. We've been doing this wrong. (laughs) This has been cereal with Kristen and Liz. (laughs) But listen, it only takes a few minutes or a few seconds to leave us a review if you're a very fast typer. Typer? Typist. Typer. Can you be a typer? You can be a typer. Bigly. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to Spawn. This is Kristen. And this is Liz. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.